1: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
3: This is Dr. Gordon Atherley speaking. I'm your host. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. Word about me first. I'm a physician trained in Britain, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. I've worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues in the U.S. I'm now retired from practice, and I'm working in research uh, and development for healthcare. I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for health care right now and right across the world actually, I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our two guests, Melanie York and Colleen Smales, are united by a medical condition, Lou Gehrig's disease. I'm going to just say a word about Melanie and Colleen um, right now, but they're going to also introduce themselves in a moment and I welcome them to the show. Melanie was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease in September 2008. In February 2009, she left her position as executive producer at YTV, a position she'd held for for 12 years. She no longer has the use of her arms and has a full-time caregiver to help her with her daily activities. She is working to increase awareness of the disease. Her background is that she began her career as an educator working with preschool children. She transferred these childcare skills to television when she began her second career by producing award winning public service announcements on bullying. Then she worked on animated stories for Street Kids International, and this particular work was translated into numerous languages and globally distributed. Colleen, Colleen first became aware of Lou Gehrig's disease when her husband, Clayton, was diagnosed with it in 2003 at the age of 31. He died in the summer of 2009. Her project for 2010 is becoming a coordinator for a walk, a first for Kamloops, B.C., her hometown, the walks to raise awareness of the disease and raise funds for research to find its cause and cure. She lives on a small farm with her two sons, Nolan, who's seven, and Justin, who's six. She holds the Bachelor of Arts degree, and she's currently an elementary teacher. She believes that friendship, rearing of livestock, and cultivation of the soil teaches the value of responsibility that is essential in life. Now, before I hand over to them, because the show is about um, melanin Colleen, I just want to say a word about Lou Gehrig's disease. It's also called ALS and motor neuron disease. It attacks the brain and nervous system. It affects about 33,000 people in North America. It has no cure. Progressing in phases, it destroys the brain's ability to move the arms, the legs, and the body. It brings, eventually, failure of the muscles involved in breathing and, therefore, deprives the person of the ability to breathe without ventilation support. But it never removes the ability to see, to smell, to taste, to hear, or to recognize touch nor does it usually impair thinking or other mental abilities. Now, I'd like to welcome to the show Melanie and Colleen. Please, Melanie, first, tell us more about yourself and your experience with Lou Gehrig's disease. Melanie.
2: Okay. Thank you, uh, Dr. Adderby. Uh, Nothing prepares you for this. Life goes on, and then one day the shoe drops, and when you hear you have ALS or you may ha- hear ALS, your, your head floods with end of life, with being robbed of your independence, your ability to move in the world as you always have, and you wonder to what end and is it worth it. Uh, it is a sentence that always sounds like a death sentence when you get it because there is no cure. And what I have found in the year and a half living with it, uh, and probably a year before I was diagnosed, is it's a very different disease, or it has added differences than that. It is a disease that allows you to see life in a different way, in a different way, sorry. It allows you to build new relationships, to see clearly, to put projects forward that you really want, to live life uh each day fully, and to really recognize the riches you have around you, have around you, and a quality of life. It's ongoing, but there is healing that can happen in the process to keep you, uh, to give you joy, and to give you purpose and meaning.
3: Thank you, Melanie. Colleen, please your experience.
2: Uh, my
4: experience was, as you mentioned, uh, when my husband was diagnosed. Prior to that. I had no experience with an illness or being a caregiver or having to change my priorities and perspective on life. Um, The positive for us is that I have realized what is important and you you, you learn to take the simple things and enjoy those and as Melanie mentioned, live every day as best you can and I have continued to do that with my boys. And it's a a life-altering path that you never ever expect, and you never
3: wish on anyone. I'm hearing you both say, in so not perhaps in so many words, that it's a journey, and it's a journey that you didn't expect, and it's a a journey that um, has many many stations, many many places where you stop and think. Now you both are working um, to. Um, advanced understanding of the disease. What is the level of understanding of the disease uh, that you've encountered? And uh, can you explain why what you encountered isn't really all that well understood?
2: Well, Mm -hmm. I'll step in here. Um, I think what I encounter is that the people who deal with this disease, both physicians, uh, mostly physicians, let's say, are very, um, uh, they're in certain positions of the caregiving. But there is very little understanding of the person inside the patient. I think when you have this disease, you are seen as a patient, and you are seen through your diagnostics, through your clinical trials, But there is very little to step inside and reach into who that person is, what that person needs, and how maybe understanding the person and what will give their life meaning can really help with the transformation and help with growth and help with healing. I think that our medical model is very fixed and unable really to create that other dimension of reaching inside the person, connecting people to people, so that they can really help each other with the inner core of what it is to be human, what it is to suffer, um, about the enlightenment of this disease. And my focus would really be to add a new consciousness to this disease. Yes, it ravages the body, but in some way, in some ironic way, it also can allow for a great deal of illumination and growth within oneself.
3: Colleen, what has been your experience of people's awareness of this disease?
4: My experience was I had never heard of Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, I knew who Lou Gehrig was simply because I follow sports, but I had no understanding of the illness. Uh, It was a trial and error journey for us. We were very fortunate. Uh, One of our medical doctors mother had had ALS so she could provide some background for us and of what to expect, but we found each patient is so individual and the ALS as an illness affects each person in different ways. So it was very much trial and error and we learned as we went and uh, Clayton was very creative and we could figure out what would work for him, what would make him comfortable and we would pass that information on, and it would not work for someone else. So we found to make his quality of life uh, substantial and to keep that going for him, it was just try things and see if it worked and rely on medical advice when we could get it, but it's just an illness that isn't that well-known and not a lot of experience with.
2: I, I agree. I think what you'll also find is in terms of the neurological illnesses like MS and Parkinson's, um, ALS is often considered the orphan disease because even though it is swift and pervasive in the way it moves, uh, not a lot of people by comparison have it. So I don't think that um, you know uh, companies are willing to really jump in and get as involved as they might with other diseases. And so it really has to, ALS has to fight to be heard and fight to be understood. Absolutely.
3: Now, this is a tougher question in a way, but let me ask um, Melanie first. How do people approach people who are experiencing this disease? What's the attitude once they they see and understand? How do they react to you? Melanie, first of all.
2: Uh, People in general, I would say ALS just puts, um, you know, deer in the headlights and fear. It just has that uh, energy of uh, fear around it. I would say with close friends, um, interestingly enough, for those who want to participate and get close, I think they're learning a lot about me and a lot about themselves. Other people, I think it's just too frightening. Um, they don't have the emotional ability within themselves to deal with it, and though they may wish the best for me, can't truly connect. Uh, so it's hard. As an ALS person, you have to be able to really um, accept, accept what people can give around you and not... Um, You've got to stay away from self-pity, and you have to stay as far as you can from anger and see things as a gift of kindness. That was a
3: key point, Melanie. I just want to quickly ask Colleen, what was the attitude that you saw in people who um, approached um, your husband for the, perhaps for the first time?
4: I would agree with Melanie that people, I would assume, are very uncomfortable because Clayton was in a wheelchair, could not move his arms, could not move his legs, could not speak, that they assumed he was not coherent, assumed he would not be able to understand, and assumed that he was, in part, just sitting there, whereas the opposite was totally uh, true. His mind was always there, his expression was there, his inner self was there, his desire for life was always, always there. And again, with friends and family who remained close, and were a part of the ALS journey, they discovered that as well, that Clayton was still Clayton all the way through, but people we didn't know would be standoffish or uncomfortable to approach him.
3: Thanks, Melanie. Now, we're going to have to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest, Colleen Smales, and Melanie York are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. Thanks.
5: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling voiceamerica.com.
0: Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
1: 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel.
5: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Help, you, know I need someone. Help.
1: you are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
3: Welcome back to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Averley speaking. Our guests are Melanie York and Colleen Smale, who are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, I'm going to ask them a question about the family's challenges the challenges they face in giving care, family caregiving for a family member with Lou Gehrig's disease, and I'm going to ask Melanie first. What? How would you list the? How would you
2: describe the challenges that family caregivers face? Oh my, you know, I think that uh, I think that caregivers are the uh, the angels of the world. Uh, without them, we would be nowhere. And I think it is probably one of the hardest jobs that you have. Um, to find caregiving, I mean family caregiving, they're untrained. They have love, there's some knowledge, but untrained and moving with instinct. And I think to to sometimes see the fear, see the pain, see the sadness in their, in their eyes while they still support you I, I think for me it's it's how to how to manage how to manage my needs, allow them to manage me, but to do it in a place of you have to have mutual respect. I don't believe that people with ALS want to be treated as a patient. You want to be respected, you want to be seen as whole. And I think your caregivers are really your advocates. They're the one who they're the ones who know you twenty four seven and really become the advocates for you in the medical system, especially when you cannot speak or can't write. I think they play, they play a very important role at home, and I would love to see that role step out of the house and be exercised in voice. I think that your doctors are people you visit from time to time, but your caregivers are the ones that keep you alive and keep you focused and keep you yourself. And the challenges are how to navigate that day-to-day and the changes we know are very swift with ALS and how we keep caregivers educated, informed, open and supported is is really a fundamental question.
3: Melanie, thanks. I guess challenge is the right word for what you're describing. Colleen, please say what challenges you you experienced when you were actually doing the family caregiving, please.
4: Sure. Our challenges, or my challenges as a caregiver, were a little different, I believe, uh, because we were so much younger. As you mentioned, Clayton was 31. I was 29. We had a 15-month-old son and five months pregnant with our second son. So we had a lot of challenges that, as a caregiver, were there, but also as a family were in place already. And I think, first and foremost, one of our biggest challenges is Clayton had to leave work uh, right away. He's the cameraman for the local TV station had such passion for his job, and so watching him have to step away from something he loved was a, a big challenge to overcome and I faced the challenge of still continuing to work, but also becoming that caregiver for my husband with an illness that I knew nothing about and knew nothing to expect, as well as raising our two children more and more on our own, who were very young at the time um, secondly. Our, one of our huge challenges was to ensure our children had a normal childhood, for lack of a better word. Um, even though their father was in a wheelchair and was unable to play with them or hold them and eventually not even speak with them, we still continued to do activities with the family and to ensure the boys were having those same experiences and that Clayton was involved and was always there to support them and give them a wink to show he was there. And third and probably most difficult was realizing many of our dreams that we had when we got married were not going to come true, and the strain on our physical and emotional and all-around relationship. It was a challenge every day to remember we were a husband and a wife and a mother and father together, not a patient and a caregiver. And that became more
2: and more of a challenge as Clayton's illness. That's true. The roles change instantly, and uh, you're never prepared for it. My mother is 83 and uh, I've always been the strong one in the family and took care of everybody, and now her role is totally changed, and her whole sense of security as she gets older in terms of my well-being has really shaken up her own security. So this illness, it just, it just it touches anybody and everybody who comes near it. And um, as Colleen was saying, nothing prepares the caregivers for it. A lot of it is done on instinct and love, And I think that the other thing is, caregivers can also feel angry. You know, I I, we're all entitled to. It's an emotional world. I think there are elements of anger, of bitterness, of of helplessness, of depletion. About what about me? You know. And I think you know we're always afraid to talk about those things that sound uh, less kind and less positive. But I think once you recognize that it is a full emotional pendulum. A full emotional pendulum that changes all the time. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's humanity, you know, at its, at its most crucial. And that's, I I can see part of my family struggle sometimes with that level of helplessness. Should I take a vacation? How can I take one? You know, Melanie can't take one. So it's very hard for them to carve out their own life when they realize somebody they love so much, uh, can't grab onto the same things. And the
4: feeling of guilt as well goes along with that, Melanie. Like you were saying,
2: yeah, it. Should I and go and do something? Ad, you know, it's a hard feeling to admit to. Yeah. Um, but I think once we do, we just really kind of respect the the depth and the difficulty of emotions that I think affect many diseases um, or illness. But we can only talk about ALS. And I think that also, as a, as the person who has ALS, I would I often feel you know, I can feel guilty. I can feel as a burden. Am I asking too much? Am I not asking enough? Should I get up from my chair? Well, I just asked five minutes ago to get up for it. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be a burden now? Am I too demanding? Well, I have a right to be demanding. Not a right, but I have a need to be. I can't help myself. So the patient also is juggling all of those things in their mind um, as the caregiver is because you, you don't want to be a burden. You want to be respected, and it's painful. To always need it's painful to always need help.
3: let me just ask you first of all um, with Colleen to r- rate them that is what do you see as the top three what were the top three that you experienced challenges yeah um, I would say
4: that the constant struggle with emotions uh, as Melanie was just explaining the constant up and down should I shouldn't I I feel guilty if I go out I I feel like I need to get out and then as well going through Clayton's mind at the same time you know I understand she needs to get away but I need her here with me and you know so the constant roller coaster of emotions and debate in your own mind so communication becomes key factor but once you lose that ability to speak the communication is is cut off as well, so it just adds to all the challenges. Uh, Secondly, I think just um, finding information and knowing what to do and figuring out what works and that constant struggle too, like should I try this, should I not try this, is this going to hurt him, is he going to be able to tell me if it works, just the constant up and down of the physical needs And thirdly, for me, it was um, letting go and letting or having another caregiver come into the house so that I could have that break. And, you know, it's hard to give the care up for your loved one. You know, are they going to be okay? Is somebody else going to be able to do this? But at the same time, recognizing that you do need a break.
3: Melanie, what do you see as the top three most challenging things for family caregivers in your experience
2: uh, it could i'll say one could be financial uh, i believe that friends and family want to do as much as they can as they can and sometimes the financial ability is not there to lift somebody up and get them out or to spend as much time as they want that their own needs and their own direction in their life is really deciding timelines and deadlines and can't be there so I th- and, and take off work. So I think sometimes it can be a financial um, issue as well. I think another challenge for me is how to, how to balance my independence, my thoughts in how I want to live against the onslaught of everybody, what they tell me to do. Um, when you've always lived your life, which I have, I've never been married, I don't have kids, Kids. I've always lived my life according to, I guess, to my own drum, um, I'm now in a situation where I, uh, the hardest thing for me is to decide in some ways how to live my life. Do I live it uh, as other people see I should live it? Do I live it by running from doctor to doctor, homeopath, naturopath, flying to China for stem cell research that is not ready. How do you turn, do you turn your back on your care by not focusing only on physical care? So really deciding how to live with myself was a big question. And I finally decided, as I've always lived my life, that keeping my spirit strong and living the way I know how to live, prior to disease and with disease, is something I have to do. And you have to give yourself tremendous per- permission to follow your own gut. Because believe me, you've become so vulnerable and so susceptible to everybody's um, advice that you can spin in circles. And somewhere you have to grab on and you have to say, this is how I need to live. This is how I can, where I can put my faith, faith. And this is how I can go forward. So that's a very difficult decision is, how to live against yep. all the, the onslaught of stuff coming to you. I think the other challenge, of course, oh, is is staying is staying positive when you know this disease has no cure. Yes. Yeah. And yep. and I I think you know I'm so grateful for the kinds of research that are going on because it's going to be research that does find a cure. However, we know there's a history of numerous trials. Nothing has really found a cure doesn't mean that nothing's happening, but still, people are dying from this disease. So, it's, um, I, I guess, my frustration is why, how, when. I would hate to see anybody else suffer like this, but how, when, what? What are the pieces? What is this disease? And that's a big frustration for me.
3: That's a very key point. Colleen, just very quickly. Do you agree from your perspective of having seen this as a witness, so to speak, do you agree with what melon has just been saying
4: absolutely yeah there is there's so many challenges that to to narrow it down to three or to spick, pick specific ones is it's it's mind boggling think yeah. like it 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 is hard just to pick two or three it's every day becomes a constant challenge in so many aspects but It was Clayton as well. He was so good at looking at the positive and making sure we saw the positive and ensuring that
3: we did every day what we could do. We will come back to that, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, it's time for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my two guests, Colleen Smales and Melanie York, are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us.
5: Talk, talk, talk. talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: We live in a time of economic uncertainty. Gas prices are up. Healthcare costs are up and sometimes the market is down. But studies have shown that by mastering your own energy, you can still live a life of prosperity. Listen to Master Your Energy, Master Your Life with your host, Shivan Moran. Shivan will show you how to overcome the negative energy of recessionary headlines and give you tools to deflect the harmful effects of subtle negative energy. Master Your Energy, Master Your Life. Friday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the 7th Wave Network.
5: Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host, as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voiced America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Successful life. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need
1: someone. Help!
5: You are listening to Family
1: Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to Doc G at mymonami.com. That's Doc letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
3: Welcome back, listeners, to Family Caregivers Unite. Our guests are Melanie York and Colleen Smales, who are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, I'm going to ask a question focused on the person who is receiving family caregiving we've already covered some of this but i'd like melanie first to just identify for for us the challenges that she perceives in actually receiving family caregiving
2: melanie the challenges in receiving caregiving yes Uh, and and do you mean the challenges to my person to myself to myself, in terms of uh, how I live? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think the challenges in receiving it are, uh, I think for me, it's being able to accept it. It's being able to accept the, the caregiving that's being given to me, to know that even if it's not the right action, it comes from a place of love and caring, and, and to always be aware of that. I think that, you know, this disease has a lot of, of difficulty with it and we feel angry and we feel desperate sometimes. Sometimes, So to always stay in a place where you where you realize that what's been given to you comes from a very good place. I think that caregivers, um, whether family or hired caregivers, really need outlets themselves. Um, I would love to see some kind of social networking um, sites set up for caregivers, caregivers for any disease. I think they need support, education, training, and I think it puts um, a value on their work. You know, love is a value for sure and you give it, but I think because of the medical system and the place they play in uh, in my life, I, I would really love to see caregivers given that kind of acknowledgement and training and, hey, why not let's just go for, you know, Caregiver's Day all over the country, you know? I think that it is a, a crucial place um, for 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 our patients. The other thing that's very difficult sometimes is the financial needs. Um, this is a disease that moves quickly. I have gone from being able to feed myself to not feed myself, from living alone to hiring a full-time caregiver and my partner moving in with me. So a challenge for me is how I even deal with um, some sense of my own space. You know, you have caregivers all around you who want to help you, but yet the individual, I, I sometimes cry out for just some privacy. How do you manage privacy when your needs are so public? So those are some of my challenges. Colleen? First of all, to go on what Melanie just said there, you lose
4: a whole sense of privacy. Um, as a caregiver, as a patient, as a family, as a whole, we were very seldom on our own. So that sense of privacy I can see, you know, yearning for. You just want to have that back. Um speaking from Clayton's perspective, um the challenges for him was first of all going from a completely independent person to a completely dependent person. Uh, having that sense of humility, a sense of feeling useless, not being able to physically help as a spouse or as a father, as a friend. You know, many friends would come over and, and do things in the house that he could no longer do. And to have that feeling of sitting and watching somebody else do the chores or do the activities that you would like to do was very difficult for Clayton. Um, frustration was huge when he was not able to communicate. And And, you know, I refer to communication in two ways. Um, One is necessity. Uh, Sometimes we had to do things very quickly. So if he was choking or, you know, needed to get to the bathroom or needed to be rolled over to relieve a pressure point and you're not able to communicate that, it's very, very frustrating not only for him but also as a caregiver because you don't know what to do to make it better. And secondly, communication just in the sense of feeling like you belong and can contribute to a conversation and just be able to talk with someone and express your thoughts, uh, what's going on around you, interact with the boys, have a conversation with someone he hasn't seen for a while. That was very, very frustrating for Clayton. He was a very social person. And the third one Melanie's already alluded to was feeling like a burden. It was a constant struggle for Clayton because he had such a desire and mindset to be so involved with our normal life and the kids' activities, and wanted to do things and be everywhere. Yet he knew how exhausting it was for the rest of us to get him to those places. And so it was that constant struggle for him. Of he just felt like a burden.
2: Very true. You're always watching what's what's happening. Ar- <clears throat> Excuse me. What's happening around you? And while you may be so relieved that you're getting fed, there's a part of you who is experiencing that constant loss that you can never feed yourself again. This is a disease of consistent and consistent losses. You know, I can't ride a bike, I can't feed myself, I can't dress myself, I can't, because my arms don't work, I can do almost nothing for myself. And I, um, you, you, the other thing that's what the patient does suffer from is how do you stay in the present and be grateful when you see all your abilities And the joys that you had with those abilities and your ability to express yourself in life, especially if you're creative, just you're robbed of them. They're taken. And so you really have to find a way to shift that energy into a place that feeds you. Because um, as human beings, our, our energy needs to be fed in the right way. And with all those losses, you really have to find a way to be your best, and I am very lucky that I still have, and I'm crossing my fingers, hopefully will have for a long time, my voice, because I have learned that without being able to express yourself, you are locked away. I And that, that and I shudder at the thought of that. Yeah, yeah.
3: These are strong, strong, tough things that you've both been describing. But I have another question, a philosophical one, and it's this. What causes the sun to shine? First of all, for the person with Lou Gehrig's disease, and the second, for the family caregiver, uh, for the person with Lou Gehrig's disease. What causes the sun to shine for them? Um, Colleen, first, please. Sure. Um, the sun
4: to shine for Clayton became very simple things. Simply a smile from me or the boys, or for him to hear, you know, that we still we still love you and we'll get through this together. Um, Involvement, he just to stay involved with the boys' interests. So, for example, watching movies snuggled together in a blanket or to see them start school and learn to read. And through his eye gaze computer, he was able to type in our oldest son's spelling words and test them. So we had that sense of feeling like he was contributing and taking an interest in what he was doing at school and a simple act that he would have done had he not been ill but was still able to do. And I think most of all, inclusion. Um, Most of our friends and family were by our side the whole six years of Clayton's illness. Um, We had every event here at our house. We celebrated everything together. And Clayton always felt he was a part of the group and was never treated any differently throughout his entire illness. He had visitors daily, and his face would light up every time someone came to see him. Just the simple act of friendship and the desire that someone showed to spend time with him made Clayton happy. So the very simple things in life became very, very important.
3: Melanie?
2: Yeah, it's very true, Colleen. I think that all the noise strips away. Yeah. And you see things, I think you see them very, very clearly. And I think the thing that puts a little kick in my step, um, because I still can walk a little, Mm -hmm. um, I first of all would say being with friends and family, laughing Eating, talking, authentic, sweet time together. It Absolutely. is the best. Yeah. The best. Um, I think that that just it makes me feel involved. I'm fully myself. Life has not changed. It is just. Um, it's that's always been joy for me to eat and and spend time with pe- people and with wonderful music in the back. It's just life. It's just the essence of life. And um, life another is going thing on. that put some sunshine into me is having a purpose. Um, I'm a pretty, um, I'm nothing driven or ambitious, but I do like to focus on things and I like to focus on um, put, uh, potentials. And with this disease, I've really realized that having meaning in your life, having uh, a purpose, having direction is crucial. Otherwise, you just, you float into non-existence And I have found some purpose in my life, which really, it it is about this disease. It's about helping to open the consciousness, but more importantly, how to get people to understand that there is a very alert and active mind, imagination, heart in there. That hasn't changed. Our senses are alive, and so is our inner sense of uh, purpose. And I think if we can address that purpose for ourselves, whatever it is, it ke- I think it can help with transformation. It can help with healing, and it helps with joy. So for me, um, finding uh, direction and purpose has been essential for me. Um, the third thing that puts um, is, is really is still travel. I hope to be away this winter. Um, is to is to move myself into new environments, um, environments get pretty stale. I go from one chair to another to another. And uh, now I'm gonna get on a, an airplane and I'm gonna go spend time in Mexico. So I think still being open to life and, and the nuances of life and being able to see clearly and be appreciative of what's around me and what life gives me. You know, they often say, uh, what is life's purpose for you now? And it's an interesting question, but I I, I do feel that being able to be in new environments and soak up, um, whether it's sun or salt or a good beer or the laughter of children, it doesn't matter. It's it's being alive in the moment.
3: This has got to be a quick one, um, but just to ask you both very quickly, you hadn't met before, except through this program. Do you think that in the work that you're both doing, you'll be able to communicate with each other and assist each other in that way. Uh, Melanie, first of all. I'd love to.
2: (laughs) I'd love to. Um, Absolutely. You know, you you meet, and thank you for bringing us together, because you do meet like-minded people, and sometimes you don't know where to find them, and um, I would love to, in the future, be connected with Colleen, and perhaps, who knows, who can give what, who can give who the other, you know, anything that they need. Colleen, are you open to that? Absolutely, the same thing. It's,
4: um, you know, we learned most of what we went through by experiencing other people's experiences, and I would love to share my experiences with Melanie, and even if I can provide one thing that would help her as she deals with her journey, then that's what it's about. And, you know, Clayton's desire was to, have us continue to find a, re, uh, a cure for ALS, but also to help others who are going through the illness as well. So Thanks I would love to. Absolutely.
3: Great.
2: Yeah. I think that's essential. I, you know, I've Melanie, that. I'm
3: afraid I'm going to have to interject at this particular point because we've, we, we have the tyranny of the break coming up, and it is time for us to take this short great break. I'm Dr. Gordon Adley. My two guests, Colleen Smales and Melanie Yorker, are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel. And please return. Thank you. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
5: If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
5: Tune into a program that's all about empowerment and human potential. It's all about navigating your life. In fact, that is the name of the program. Tune in every Monday morning for the Navigating Your Life Show with host Dr. Nathaniel J. Williams. Each week we'll discuss a range of topics to help you with the challenges facing us every day. The information given can be implemented immediately and may change your life forever. The Navigating Your Life Show is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you know I need someone
1: you are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley if you have any questions or comments about our program please address them by email to G at mymonami.com that's doc letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers
3: Unite. Welcome back uh, to Family Caregivers Unite. Our guests are Melanie York and Colleen Smales who are talking about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, the question I'm going to put to the two guests is this. If the government puts you both in charge of family caregiver support, for family caregivers. Now, what I mean by that is what should society, government, the community be doing to support family caregivers who are supporting family members with serious conditions like Lou Gehrig's disease? What change, changes would you introduce? First, Colleen, what changes would you introduce?
4: First and foremost, uh, I believe financial support for caregivers to leave work through compassionate leave for as long as the time may be needed. Um, In my eyes and experience, it is impossible to put a time, as in number of weeks, that this support needs to be provided. Clayton was given 18 months to three years to survive with ALS, and he lived with ALS for six years. So I feel it's unfair to ask a caregiver of a loved one to choose a specified amount of time to be able to leave work with some pay. Um, You know, the debate becomes, would you take that time while you still could go places and do things, or wait and use that time until you are unable to go anywhere, but be with your loved one while he or she passes away? So I believe you should have a right to both ends of that spectrum and all the time in between as well. So financial support, just to be able to leave work and have some income, but spend your time with your loved one. Uh, secondly, training for caregivers, specifically for patients with ALS. I realized you know, this is very difficult, and each patient is very different, but we found um, that the information and knowledge about caring for someone with ALS is very limited, and our home care workers and even the hospice staff where Clayton spent time had never cared for someone with ALS. We all learned as we went through each stage, and were fortunate how patients and Creative Clayton became an assisting, but it still needs to be promoted more. And, you know, it's important to note that not one person can provide sufficient care for an ALS patient. It takes a team of both professionals and loved ones, and it is very much a community effort. So that specified training in place would be very beneficial. And the third one uh, comes from Clayton himself. He was very, uh, very technolo- technology-based. Um, so the equipment, uh, of course, the basic equipment needed, such as wheelchairs, vehicles, ventilators, uh, braces, all of those. But more important to us is the access to communication through an eye-gaze computer system that allows a person with no speech or finger dexterity to still communicate. Clayton was fortunate to receive one of these through the ALS Society of BC and Yukon, and it changed his life and the quality of his life tremendously. And, you know, we live in a world filled with communication technology, with cell phones, Blackberries, email, voice messaging. But when you can't access any of those mediums and your mind wants to share so many things that your body won't allow you to, it is awfully lonely and very depressing. And Clayton was able to type with this, with his eyes. Uh, the computer would speak for him so he could engage in a conversation. But he was also able to email and be on Facebook independently, where he found so many old friends. And old friends found him, came to see him, or had an ongoing electronic conversation with them, knowing that they may not get that chance again. And, you know, I just believe everyone should have that access to that type of communication, regardless of their illness or challenge or accident they may have been on. If you don't have that speech, it's about a $15,000 cost to have one of those computers, and if they could be government-funded, what a tremendous quality of life it
2: provides to people. Melanie? Yeah, um, I, I wasn't able to hear everything, but um, I think the quality of life is huge. Uh, as we know, it, 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 it diminishes quickly and I think uh, that caregivers are so essential to the care of the patient um, that I would love to see their role as teachers, as experts, as knowledgeable, not just, I think caregiver even downplays the role that they that they play. I think the word undermines the, the true extent of the role. They're often the ones that are seeking the information, providing the care. Um, I would love to see a large community put together of caregivers who can access information, training, um, an ability to navigate the system, because there are so many different systems, and sometimes it depends on who you know and how you can get there. Um, I think even allowing that inner sense of, of, of the guilt and, and the, the confusion for a caregiver, a place for that to go. Perhaps uh, webinars or experts every, you know, every Thursday of a month, a place for caregivers to go to ask questions, to air what they have to in a communicative and, and mutually acceptable, mutually supportive, supportive way. Um, I would love to see, yeah, the attitude of caregivers shift. And I believe in every disease without our family caregivers and our friends, our health would fall much faster. So if there's any way to create new media awareness even in terms of the caregiver, I'd love to see that position raised and respected, understood, and very praised but I think that's all gonna come through a social networking site, uh, maybe through new media awareness and um, uh, information that is given out at every turn.
3: Thank you both for that. And I'm just going to make a little bit of a comment back to you. The idea of family caregivers uniting is to bring them together. And what you've been talking about is the way in which technology can help us do that. And, in fact, in some ways, this show, Family Caregivers Unite, is a form of social networking. It's an opportunity to bring people together uh, where they have common interests, to link them together. But you both have gone a stage further than that. You've said that if you were uh, up for election for government, one of your platforms, your policies, would be... um, social networking for all kinds of support, education, bringing people together, um, making sure that information flows where it should flow, and generally raising the profile of family caregivers. Now, what I would like to (laughs) see happen is that when you do your work promoting both of you, and you are doing it, that perhaps some of the things that you've been talking about would be specifically raised and if you feel that it would be useful, maybe we can specifically raise these um, during the course of this program because or this, this particular show because um, quite soon I'm going to be having people from the technology sector talking about what they think and I would like to put to them the points you've made. Now, I've been going on rather too long um, and I want to... Thank you both very much indeed for really an extremely stimulating discussion on a very difficult topic. I wish you both every success in your work and everything you do. Um, We'd be pleased to hear from you if there's anything more that you think this program can do to help, and I would like also to thank our listeners for their interest in this particular topic and the other topics. Now, our next episode is about AARP and its Canadian counterpart, CARP, talking about services for family caregivers. And if I get an opportunity, I'm going to put some of the points that um, you have made um, to these two people who are very much involved with policy. So many thanks, and many thanks to our listeners, and let meet you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>